Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone who has a visual impairment and is unable to read a newspaper. We have permission from the Worcester News and are recording on Tuesday, the 2nd of March. I'm Elizabeth Hill and recording from home and the engineer this week is John Plush. Clerical work is being done by Carol Hartle and her team. Music is by Sheila Joins and Thought for the Week by Keir Aldis. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering, which we hope will inform, educate and entertain. We have some emergency or useful telephone numbers. The Thought for the Week, the We'll Open the Birthday book, if we don't have yours, do let us know. And I'll read an article from Memory Lane and we'll have a, a sports slot. Then we have the headlines from the past week, sunrise and sunset times and obituaries will be read after the final music. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, you would like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane in Worcester, WR5, 1DA. You, of course, can add anything to your wallet. I do uh, sincerely thank anyone who has sent a donation, and we're really grateful. In addition to the newspaper recordings, we have a magazine and an extensive library of talking books. If you'd like a book, please put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. Please be aware we're not there every day. We do like to hear from you, whether it's a complaint, a compliment or an observation, put a note in your wallet. So I'm going to give you now the um, emergency or useful telephone numbers. Here at Worcester Talking News, as I've said, 01905 For NHS Direct, if you have a health problem, 111. For Out of Hours Medical Assistance, it's 0300 123 And that's between 6 and 8 p.m. only. For the Worcester Hub, it's 01905 765 765. And for Crime Stoppers, it's 0800 555 111. Worcestershire County Council have a Here to Help line, which is 01905 768053 and choose option three. And for fire safety, the community risk team is 0800 032 1155. Um, another number which may be useful to you um, 
is for uh, telephone calls that are scams, and they seem to be on the rise at the moment. Uh, if you want to block a number from one of these um, these scam calls, if you dial 1572 immediately after cutting that call off, um, you will get a message which asks you to press, press option one, number one, and then listen to the message again. It goes through the telephone number. You press one again, and then that deletes that number. So 1572 to take those scam telephone numbers off. I'm afraid it does only use one, um, it works one by one by one. Okay. So um, now I have the uh, birthdays for this week. Um, I think last week we read uh, um, birthdays for Marjorie Pierce on the second, today the second. Stanley Burden on the 3rd and Peter Williams on the 4th. So I hope you all have happy birthdays. I know it's difficult at the moment, but I hope you have a good day. Now for this week's headlines, sunrise and sunset time. So reading from Wednesday of last week, woman's fury over father treatment. Dealer is all smiles after tears in court. Man threatened to slit his ex's throat. Guilty pleas after brawl. Three nurseries set to close. And dad dies at 49 after brain tumour fight. The days are getting longer. Sunrise is 6.54am. Sunset is 5.50 p.m. And didn't we have some beautiful weather over the weekend? It's rather misty and cold today, but um, at least we've had a little taste of spring. And on a walk uh, recently, I saw snowdrops, crocus, primroses, um, some tiny little violet-sized cyclamen um, and daffodils. So spring really is on its way. Now, the headline, first story. A daughter has claimed her elderly father was left screaming in pain after being discharged from Worcester Royal Hospital without an adequate care plan or the required permission. 87-year-old John Butterfield, who suffered from rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, a heart condition and poor eyesight, is being cared for by the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust. His daughter, Charlotte Morgan, who is the health and wellbeing power of attorney for her father, along with her sister, Catherine Mitchell, says he has been treated appallingly. Charlotte claims the trust discharged Mr Butterfield without informing her or her sister. Mr Butterfield lives alone and his daughters both live outside the city, Charlotte in Northampton and Catherine in Glasgow. Charlotte said, My father was initially admitted to the hospital in 2018 for two weeks over the Christmas period as his legs had gone black. At that point, we were told he had a heart condition because it was not working the body as it should be and it affected his kidneys. They then said he has had arthritis and gout in his knees. 
He received treatment at the hospital, but our family expressed concerns about his return home, as we don't live in Worcester, and were assured that a sufficient home care package would be put in place. We also strongly requested that a discharge date be advised in advance to either myself or my sister, so that we could make arrangements for someone to travel to his house and get basic essentials in for him and ensure he was looked after adequately. We were repeatedly told that my father would not be discharged without our knowledge. But Catherine's husband popped into the hospital on the day they were returning to Glasgow to say goodbye and found my father in a wheelchair in his ward awaiting transportation home by taxi. No one had informed us that he was being discharged and no home care package in place. He was being sent home to a house that had not been in use for over two weeks, with no food in the cupboards and no family with any knowledge that he would have been at home alone. After many phone calls and emails, my sister and I managed to organise a home care package between the hospital district nurses and GP ourselves with no assistance from any medical professional. Charlotte said in August 2020, Mr Butterfield was admitted back to Worcestershire Royal Hospital with painful and swollen knees and then discharged, inverted commas, with a home care package that was completely inadequate for his needs as an elderly person with health conditions. Quotes end. I arrived at his house to find him in the lounge, distressed, confused, with over 20 various tablets all over the lounge floor, which should have been taken over the previous 48 hours, Charlotte said. He therefore had not been getting the medication into his system that he so desperately needed, and no one had helped him with this. He had been unable to climb the stairs to bed and was screaming in pain when trying to so opted to sleep in his armchair. Charlotte says that during her father's third admission to Worcestershire Royal Hospital in December last year, after his assessment, they were told he had osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, gout and an infection in his knee, as well as thrush in his mouth and two abscesses in his gums with teeth needing to be removed. He also had several ulcers on his legs that had become infected and he had a bubble behind his retina. Charlotte said he was discharged within a few days and on this occasion discharged with a care package in place. I cannot reiterate enough the amount of times my sister and I had asked for some contact but again we were clueless as to what was happening with his care and discharge. He was once again sent home without our knowledge. When I visited him at home the next day, I was shocked at the state of the sores on his legs. Charlotte said her father was readmitted to hospital again earlier this month. I received a call from my sister on February the 15th to say that he was probably being discharged that evening, but no idea what time and more importantly, we had no time to make any arrangements to be at his house for his arrival. I also had a call from my father to say he was being discharged, but nothing from any medical professional. 
My sister and I received no call whatsoever, and father was sent home in an ambulance on Monday, February the 15th, at 10pm at night, in freezing conditions, with no one at home or any arrangements being made to be with him. Charlotte said John has now been readmitted to hospital for the fifth time in seven months, where he is currently being treated. I'm not a medical professional and I don't work with elderly people. But what I do know is that my father has been treated appallingly, said Charlotte. Vicky Morris, Chief Nursing Officer at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said, We're sorry to hear that the family of Mr Butterfield are unhappy with the care he has received with us so far. We take all complaints about patient care very seriously and will investigate these concerns fully, reporting our findings back to the family as well as identifying any improvements we can make to keep improving patient care. And there is more on that story later. A drug dealer who peddled cocaine in Worcester cried in court, but was grinning moments after he walked free, chatting away happily on his mobile phone. Shah Hussein Hark was spotted by the judge crying in the dock when he learned he had escaped an immediate prison sentence at Worcester Crown Court, despite dealing cannabis and cocaine in the city. However, he did not look like he had a care in the world as he strolled along Fourgate Street with a friend after being granted his liberty. The 22-year-old of Chedworth Drive, Warnden, got into what the judge called a foolish argument with staff at Bushwhackers in the city's Trinity Street on August the 10th, 2019. Richard Frank, prosecuting, said Hark was drunk with a strong smell of intoxicants coming from him and dilated pupils during the argument outside the city nightclub. The defendant claiming he had property inside. He said, the defendant was shouting and swearing and asked to leave. He said, arrest me then. Officers complied with his request. He was arrested for being drunk and disorderly. Officers took him to Worcester Police Station, where they found he had a small amount of cannabis and £570 in cash. Police sealed two mobile phones, a Nokia and a Samsung. The Nokia had four messages relating to dealing cocaine dated the day before his arrest. One of the messages read, sniff deals, two for seven. However, the basis of plea accepted by the Crown was that Hark had only been dealing the Class A drug for one day. There was a lengthy series of messages on the Samsung about Hark's dealing of cannabis between July 2018 and August 2019. Hark was interviewed by police on December the 9th, 2019, answering no comment to all questions. The defendant has seven previous convictions for 11 offences on his record. A probation court liaison officer identified Hark as suitable for intervention. Hark intends to go on a plumbing course at Worcester Tech College, now known as the heart of Worcestershire College. 
Judge James Burbage, QC, imposed a two-year prison sentence, suspended for two years, and placed Hark on a four-month curfew between 8pm and 6am. He must also complete 40 rehabilitation activity requirement days. A jealous drunk who threatened to kill his girlfriend and make her children orphans has been jailed for two years. Robert Taverner grabbed his then-partner, Christine Roberts, by the throat and produced a knife, threatening to slit her throat before getting her to call her former partners while he threatened to kill them. The 42-year-old committed a similar offence ten years ago, narrowly avoiding jail on that occasion, admitting attacking his teenage girlfriend. Worcester Crown Court heard that Taverner has attempted to commit suicide since his latest crime, the horrifying attack on December the 27th last year. John Brotherton, prosecuting, said the defendant had been drinking that day and was at his Worcester home with Miss Roberts because he had asked her to stay there. His behaviour then changed shouting at Miss Roberts because he took exception to her former partners, the fathers of her two children. Mr Brotherton said, The defendant grabbed her by the throat. She managed to break free, falling to the floor. He left. He returned with a knife, saying, I'm going to slit your throat and leave your children as orphans. The prosecutor said, he then made the victim phone the partners so that he could speak to them, wanting to arrange a fight with the pair at Gullivelt Park. The first Aaron Oliver was called and he later told police Taverner had sounded drunk and threatened that he wanted to kill him. In the second call to Elliot James, the prosecutor said Taverner threatened to snap his neck, slash his throat and smash his head in. The prosecutor added that Mr James managed to keep Taverner on the phone, calming him down so Miss Roberts was able to escape. Mr Brotherton said that after being arrested, in interview, Taverner admitted what he had done and said he was remorseful for the attack on Miss Roberts, but not for the threats he made to the former partners. Taverner was released on bail, but taken into custody in January after sending messages to the victim when his bail conditions prohibited any contact. In Miss Roberts' victim personal statement, she said she was struggling to sleep, suffered from anxiety and didn't want to go outside, fearing she would bump into Taverner. Mr Brotherton highlighted Taverner's previous conviction of a similar nature when he was given an eight-month suspended jail sentence in September 2010. In that case, covered by the Worcester News at the time, Taverner attacked his 17-year-old girlfriend with his hands round her throat, banged her head on the floor and spat in her face, just as police broke in through his front door. When they attempted to arrest him, he charged at police officers. Lana Davis, defending, said Taverner of East Street had pleaded guilty at the first opportunity for attacking Miss Roberts and was sorry. 
He has tried to kill himself, Miss David said. He has ruined people's lives, particularly Christine Roberts. He knows he has to be punished. He feels remorseful at what he has done. He is not allowed to have contact with his son and lost his job. He stays at home all the time. Tavener showed no emotion as he was told by Judge James Burbridge he would be jailed for 32 months. You seemed jealous of the partners, the judge said. They did nothing to you. You grabbed her by the throat. You brandished a knife. She rang the two men. You threatened to kill them. The details are so serious a custodial sentence can be imposed. Judge Burbridge also handed Tavener a 10-year restraining order preventing contact with the victim and Mr Oliver and Mr James. Four people have admitted taking part in a bloody brawl outside a Worcester community centre, which left one of those injured suffering a, suffering a bleed on the brain. Two others alleged to have been involved in the street fight that took place not far from Warden Youth and Community Centre in Shap Drive last June have also appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court. Footage of the brawl, which took place at around 7pm on June the 10th, was shown to magistrates as they decided the offences were so serious their powers were insufficient to deal with the case. Abdul Mufasir, aged 23, of Northfield Street, and Keir Hempstock, 23, of Sycamore Road, both pleaded guilty to violent disorder. Suzanne Burfitt, 36, of Poplar Avenue, Brickfields, and Adam Rock, 37, of Lime Grove, Stockport, Manchester, who appeared via video link to the court, pleaded guilty on a basis that is disputed by the Crown Prosecution Service. The particulars of the offence read out to each defendant during separate hearings due to coronavirus rules on the number of people allowed in court at one time say that they, on the 6th of June 2020 at Worcester, used or threatened unlawful violence when present together with others being three or more persons in total, who used or threatened unlawful violence, and the conduct taken together was such as would cause a person of reasonable firmness present at the scene to fear for his or her personal safety. Meanwhile, Aaron Wiggett, 35, of Martindale Close Warnden, and Hallett Gockman, 32, of Dunmo Avenue, gave no indication of their plea to the violent disorder charge when they appeared at the court. CCTV footage of the brawl, watched by magistrates, showed the running battles and chaos as people were attacked on the ground. Mark Hamblin, prosecuting, said, As you see for yourselves, it meets the criteria of violent disorder. The Crown places the offence at a starting point of two years' custody with a range between one and three years. We base that on it is violent disorder and there are weapons either used or possessed with the intention of using. Injuries included broken bones and a bleed on, the, on a brain. Your powers are insufficient and 
it should be sent to Crown Court to be dealt with there. We reported at the time that witnesses said that one of the weapons used was a rolling pin and police said in a statement that one woman was taken to hospital after the melee. Tariq Khan, defending Gokman and Mark Turnbull, defending Wigget, offered no observations when asked if they agreed it should be sent to Crown Court for trial. Gareth Thomas, chairman of the magistrates' bench, said, We are agreed. Crown Court. Muffaseer, Hemstock, Burfitt and Rock were all told their sentencing hearing would be held at Worcester Crown Court on March the 26th. Wigget and Gockman were told to appear at the court for a plea and trial preparation hearing on March the 25th. All six defendants were given unconditional bail. A city college plans to close its three on-site nurseries, putting jobs at risk. Part of Worcestershire College is set to shut the two nurseries at its campus in Deansway, as well as the childcare facility at its Bromsgrove site. At the Worcester campus, there is one nursery at the St Wollstone's building and one at the All Saints building, offering places to children of students, staff and the general public. The Allington Playtech Nursery, which opened in July 1992, and Baby Tech, which was launched in September 2003, offer care for up to 45 children aged between three months and five years in total across the two sites. Both nurseries have been rated as outstanding by Ofsted since 2012. Leaders at the college blamed the impact of the coronavirus pandemic, coupled with the continued underfunding of the further education sector for the potential closures. A spokesman for the college said, sadly, like many other organisations, part of Worcestershire College has been adversely affected by the coronavirus pandemic. And when the financial impact caused by COVID-19 is considered, Alongside the continued underfunding of the further education sector, a situation which has been ongoing for many years, it has put us in a position where we are no longer able to provide some services and instead need to focus the limited funding we receive on our core business of delivering learning and supporting our learners to progress and succeed. The spokesman added that the college is currently in consultation with staff working at the nurseries under threat and will continue to support staff and the users of the nurseries during this difficult time. It was not known at the time of the paper going to print exactly how many nursery staff at the college would be affected by the closures. A beloved husband and father has died aged 49, just six months after doctors found he had a tumour on his brain. Aide Newman died peacefully at home in his sleep on Monday morning. His wife, Terra Newman, said, We decided we wanted him to spend his last few weeks at home, so he received care from the amazing district nursing team who could not do enough for him and from Hospice at Home, which is from St Richard's. He passed away in the early morning hours 
very peacefully and asleep. We thank everyone who has reached out to us over the past few months. Mrs Newman had been raising money in a desperate bid to get more time with her beloved husband after being told by doctors that nothing could be done to save him. She set up a Facebook page and a GoFundMe in her efforts to pay for drugs to extend Mr Newman's life for as long as possible so he could spend time with her and their two children, Cove and Eva. The community rallied round the family and raised over £25,000 for the family in an attempt to give them the gift of time. Hundreds have shared their condolences on the Facebook page after hearing of Mr Newman's passing. Susan Clamp wrote, I am so sorry, Terra. I am heartbroken for you and your children. Know that you are all in our prayers. If there is anything we can do, please reach out. He fought a hard battle, but now he is at peace and watching over you all forevermore. Rachel Rose said, There are no words for what has happened to your wonderful family. I am heartbroken for you, sending all our love. Sylvia Redding said, So very sad to hear this. I worked with aid many years ago. My heartfelt condolences to you, Terra, and your family. Rest in peace, aid. Mr Newman was fit and active just six months ago, said his loving wife. Mrs Newman, 45, had told the Worcester News, Just back in April, he was fine. He was very fit and active, cycling 200 miles a week. He was an engineer. He just came home one day and said, my head feels funny. It came out of the blue. He said, I can't write anymore. Isn't this weird? There were more symptoms. He reminded me of a stroke victim. It all happened in a four week period in June. That was the nightmare month. He went to A&E twice and doctors sent him home saying he had a trapped nerve. But then he could no longer walk. He was having trouble speaking and that was when we got taken seriously. It went on for two months. They finally did an MRI in August and found the large brain tumour. At that point they did not know it was cancerous. They thought it was a benign tumour. He had it removed at University Hospital Coventry but it grew back within nine weeks to almost its original size which was really disappointing. They only gave him two rounds of chemo in September and October before they wrote him off and said there's not a lot they can do. In November they tried chemo but quickly said it is not working. (coughs) He had deteriorated quickly. By early February he could no, no longer speak or walk. The GoFundMe page is still active, so if you wish to donate, all funds raised will go to the children Mr Newman sadly has left behind. And that concludes the headline stories for this week. And now we'll crack on with some uh, rest of the news. Uh, Some of it will be about COVID, but not all. A city funeral director says people are mistakenly coming to them for the COVID vaccine due to a sat-nav error. 
Residents looking for St John's House Medical Centre are being led to Bedwardine Funeral Services a mile down the road. Worcester resident Paul Steele said he had struggled to find the right place. He said, I turned up at the old address, which is actually the site of Bedwardine Funeral Services, and found other people wandering around looking for the medical centre, which is 1.2 miles away. A member of staff at the funeral parlour said, We get four to five people coming every day, mainly older people. It is not good for any of us. They are very frustrated and confused when we have to turn them away. It seems to be an error on Google Maps, whereby if you don't have the latest update, the address for the GP surgery leads people here. A centenarian from Kemsey celebrated her birthday with a wonderful show of support from the community. Ruth Thomas celebrated her 106th birthday on February the 17th and had asked the public for cards to help her celebrate the big day. Since then, Mrs Thomas, who lives at the Lawns Nursing Home in Kemsey, received more than 100 cards and nice messages from people around the county. A spokesman from the Lawns said, Ruth received an amazing 169 cards and so many presents. She had videos sent to her from all over England in response to our request to make this 106th birthday as amazing as she is. The Tesco store at St Peter's sent Ruth a bouquet and a chocolate cake. A card from the Queen arrived by courier at 2pm and staff toasted her happy birthday with her favourite tipple, Bailey's. The spokesman added, Ruth has asked that we specifically thank all of the kind people who sent cards to wish her a happy birthday and her family for their continued love and support, especially Lynn and Trevor. Mrs Thomas was born in Hereford but moved to Kemsey when she was 20 to work as a parlourmaid at the Elizabethan Manor Nash House until she met her husband. The pair took over the Queen's Head pub in the village for three years until Ruth started running the local swimming pool in 1954, staying on for 27 years with her husband. In 2019, we reported on her 104th birthday, where she shared her secret to a long life, saying, a little bit of what of what you fancy does you good. Drink lots of tea and don't forget to laugh as much as possible. You never know where you will be the next day, so enjoy yourself. Mrs Thomas spends her days reading and talking to anyone who comes in. When it comes to books, she enjoys a good murder or a nice romance and was full of praise for the staff at the lawns, saying, They take wonderful care of me here. I have someone who comes in and does my hair and nails and they're wonderful people to have looking after me. City councillors have agreed to increase their pay by at least £88 a year. Worcester City Council has been advised to increase basic allowances for councillors by as much as £264 a year, but the recommendation was ignored with party leaders preferring a smaller increase to £4,474 a year. 
The recommendation came from the Independent Renumeration Panel, IRP, body responsible for determining how much elected officials are paid, and comes following a freeze on basic allowances last year. At a full meeting of the City Council on February the 24th, Green Group leader Councillor Lewis Stephen said he was initially against a rise but felt allowances had to increase to attract more people to becoming councillors. I have to admit that, I, that initially I was a little bit hesitant to increase allowances, but I have been persuaded and in fact am now convinced that we should be increasing allowances by 2%, he said. The reason why I am convinced is that last year the IRP also proposed that we increase our allowances and we chose, as a council, not to increase. What I would also say is that the IRP are proposing quite a significant increase of 5%, and what we are proposing is to increase it by a much more modest 2%. The biggest reason that I am convinced we should be increasing allowances is that if we don't keep track of the allowances, we could get to a point in the future where only rich people, or possibly people who are retired and have time on their hands, can become councillors. From an inclusivity point of view, I think we should try to keep our members' allowances to a reasonable level. The panel recommended last year that the basic allowance for a city councillor should be increased to 4,526. Councillors deferred a decision on the proposed rate raise at a full meeting last May and later agreed to freeze the cost of a basic allowance of £4,386, £140 below the IRP's recommendation. The three council group leaders met earlier this month and were shown six options for councillor allowances raising from a 1% to 5% increase. The proposed increases would see the leader and deputy leader of the council both pocket £11,185 for the respective roles. The chair of the council's important decision-making policy and resources committee would see an extra £7,829.50 pence based on increases from previous years, and the chair of the planning committee would receive an extra £4,474 a year for the role, with the committee vice chair receiving an extra £2,237 a year. Chairs of various other council committees will receive an extra £6,711 for their roles, based on the same increase as previous years. This is a follow-up to the headline story about inadequate care. A daughter who claimed her father was left screaming in pain after being discharged from Worcestershire Royal Hospital without an adequate care plan has responded to comments that she should be taking care of him herself. Charlotte Morgan, who is the health and wellbeing power of attorney for her father, along with her sister, Catherine Mitchell, claimed the Worcestershire NHS Trust have discharged her father 
87-year-old John Butterfield without informing her or her sister. Some people on the Worcester News Facebook page asked why Charlotte and her sister are not doing more themselves, such as having Mr Butterfield live with one of them or arranging for him to live in a care home. In response, Charlotte said, Our problems do not begin with the fact that he lives alone. Our main concern is the lack of contact from the hospital regarding his health and continual discharge and return to hospital. Anyone who knows my dad knows that although he's 87 years old, he is incredibly independent, has a passion for his gardening and greenhouse, never sits still for very long and loves to cook and fix things. He so desperately wants to maintain that independence and to be in the family home, and why shouldn't he? We specifically got power of attorney for my dad's health and welfare as he is deemed elderly and wanted to be prepared for any eventuality, especially as we live away from him. But he was not ready to give up his independence and the family home just yet. I live closest and regularly visit him. My sister stays for a couple of weeks at a time when she can get time off work. And this has worked well for all of us and for my dad to maintain a lifestyle that he relishes. My sister and I both married, have children and work full time. Another reason for the power of attorney to be in place is so that we were informed of his admission and discharge should he be admitted to hospital in our absence. Mr Butterfield, who suffers from rheumatoid arthritis, heart condition and poor eyesight, lives in Worcester. Charlotte lives in Northampton and Catherine in Glasgow. One reader asked why they hadn't created a care plan themselves. Charlotte said, We were repeatedly told that Dad would not be discharged without our knowledge, and every time he was. When you are assured by professionals that something is going to happen, you assume it will. Police were right to fine a foolish swimmer who jumped in a flooded Worcester River, says the city's MP. Worcester MP Robin Walker has backed police action after a constituent complained the man should not have been fined. We reported last month how a man jumped off the main bridge in Worcester wearing nothing but his boxer shorts before swimming towards Diglis, sparking a major rescue operation involving three emergency services. Around 20 firefighters, which is four crews, were dispatched to the scene and remained there for close to two hours as boats swept the river searching for the man. However, city resident Andrew Brown, who accepted the swimmer had been foolish, has written a letter of complaint to West Mercia Police's Professional Standards Department and also to Worcester MP Robin Walker. In his letters, Mr Brown argued that the man who handed himself in after a police appeal should not have faced any punishment for either a public order offence or under COVID regulations. The 36-year-old swimmer was videoed diving into the river before swimming towards Diglis where he clambered out leading to a police appeal to trace him. West Mercia Police has said the swimming was not permitted exercise during the pandemic 
especially after he had travelled from the southwest. Rescue boats combed the river looking for him, and police, the fire service, and two ambulances also rushed to the scene on Thursday, January the 28th. The man got in touch with police and was formally interviewed in respect of offences for a coronavirus legislation breach and breach of public order legislation relating to his actions of diving from the main river bridge of the River Severn into deep and dangerous flood water. Following this interview, the man has been issued with fixed penalty tickets under both legislations. Writing to Mr Brown, Robin Walker said, I appreciate your concerns on this issue and that you believe the incident does not meet the criteria to either a public order offence or COVID-19 breach. The decision to proceed with enforcement action is an operational matter for West Mercia Police and it would be inappropriate for me as a Member of Parliament to interfere in such matters. He added, nonetheless, this incident involved diving into dangerous water and did trigger a significant emergency response at a time when there is considerable pressure on our emergency services and these resources could have been put to better use. Mr Walker went on to say that the swimmer travelling from the southwest to swim was contrary to the guidance about exercising locally. He added, if the individual concerned is unhappy with the police response to this incident or the fixed penalty notices that he received, he is able to make a complaint and challenge these decisions should he wish to do so. However, given the unnecessary nature and foolishness of this incident, I am of the view that the police response was proportionate based on the information I have available. A plan to build up to 50 affordable homes on part of a former city golf course was rejected by councillors. The homes would have been built on the former Toledine golf course by Housing Association Bromford with three homes in nearby Darwin Avenue demolished to make way. Worcester City Council's planning committee rejected the application at a meeting on February the 25th. As council planning officers had recommended the application was approved, councillors could only vote on minding to refuse the plan which means it will return to a future council meeting for a final decision. A campaign was set up to stop the homes being built with residents saying if the plan went ahead, it would mean swapping priceless natural fields for pollution and congestion. A petition against the plans attracted more than 800 signatures. Campaigners say the fields are next to a local nature reserve and used regularly by families and young people, dog walkers and nature photographers who already have very few places to go. Jan Scrines, speaking on behalf of local residents at the planning meeting, said the green space had been a lifeline for many during the pandemic and it was important it was protect protected. 
Councillor Chris Cawthorn, who admitted the application was not ideal, but voted in favour of the plan, said she would choose people over trees. We desperately need more affordable housing, she said. I'm sorry, but if you ask me to choose between a person and a tree, I have to choose a woman with kids who has nowhere to live. Bromford had proposed a mix of one to four bedroom homes, of which 35 would be for rent and 15 made available to buy through shared ownership. Some councillors hit out at developer Bromford for saying there was an oversupply of green space in Warnden as justification for building homes there. Planning Vice Chair Pat Ager said it was an absurd suggestion. Warden Councillor Andy Roberts said it was ludicrous to draw lines through green space and did not want to see green space in Worcester rationed. Councillor Alan Amos, pointing to a number of strong objections from neighbours, said it would be a tragedy if the plan was approved. He said the opposition of residents should be taken more seriously, as it would be for those who are most affected. And now I think we'll have a couple of sports items. And the first is rugby. Worcester Warriors slipped to an eighth consecutive Premiership defeat as they suffered a nine-point second-half advantage in their 22-14 defeat at local rivals Gloucester. Warriors conceded two tries in quick succession with half an hour to go, having led 14-5 shortly after the half-time break. But they were again on the wrong side of the result, which now means they sit joint bottom with the Cherry and Whites. Gloucester hadn't won a game since November, and it looked set to continue with just a minute on the clock, as Worcester's Nick David scored a sensational solo try from 50 metres out. Worcester failed to, ex to build on the explosive start and struggled to make the most of decent field position as the home side grew into the contest. Shortly before half-time, the Cherry and Whites did manage their first try with 35 minutes on the clock as Billy Twelve Trees crashed over from close range. The second period began in similar fashion to the first, with Warriors on the front foot. A penalty to the corner provided an attacking Worcester line-out five metres from the Gloucester line, and a good driving ball forced a penalty try and a yellow card to prop Fraser Balmain. The visitors now had a man advantage, but they were not to capitalise, and instead Gloucester's Matthias Alemano found a way to push his way over from a driving mall after Warriors had failed to clear their lines effectively. A minute after conceding, the hosts were to take the lead as Jamie Shilcock's attempted offload in his own half went to ground and Tom Seabrook hacked the loose ball forward to score. Another sin bin reduced Gloucester to 14 men as Geordie Reed saw yellow for a high tackle. But despite sustained pressure and territory, Worcester fell further behind after George Barton's penalty extended the lead to 22-14. A late flurry almost provided a chance for Warriors, 
but a deliberate knock-on from Gloucester winger Santiago Carreras was not deemed punishable with a penalty try and the visitors were left with nothing. And uh, another rugby item here, actually. Gloucester Rugby's Willie Heinz had agreed to swap Kingsholm for six ways this summer after Worcester Warriors confirmed their fifth signing ahead of the season. The 35-year-old scrum half was linked to Worcester at the weekend in the rugby paper, and now it is official that the 13-cap England man will make the short trip from the southwest to Worcestershire. Head coach Jonathan Thomas believes Heinz is the perfect fit for the club. As we have said publicly since we have come in as coaches, recruitment and retention is really important, he said. The impact of COVID-19 means that the salary cap is being reduced, so you have to be smarter than ever with your recruitment. We are looking for cultural architects, people who can add value as a, as a player first and foremost, but also to the environment here at Six Ways and helping the development of our young homegrown players. Willie is a really valuable addition to our squad. He's an international player and has been recently, which is a huge thing for the club. He has an outstanding reputation from cultural and leadership aspects. He has experienced rugby in different parts of the world. He's a huge addition to the club and I'm thrilled that he's joining us. Hines joins Scotland international wing Duhan van der Mary, Ed from Edinburgh, tight head props Jack Owlett from Wasps and Christian Judge from Bath Rugby and fellow scrum half Will Chaudley from Bath Rugby as new additions to Warriors squad for next season. After speaking with Solly, JT and all the coaches, I am delighted to be joining Worcester at an exciting time in the club's history, Heinz said. They have a very clear vision of their, where they want to take the club and some young coaches who have alignment in terms of implementing this vision and also some very talented young players coming through their systems. I still feel like I have a lot to give in my career and want to be part of this exciting journey. And I'm now going to open the Memory Lane book Michael Grundy wrote for many years in the Worcester News. And this is about Worcester's Great Floods, um, uh, taken from Tuesday, February the 19th, 1985. Twice this century, Worcester has been engulfed by great floods with widespread and devastating consequences. In the first few days of June 1924 and again in the spring of 1947, the Severn rose so swiftly and dramatically that it reached record levels of 20 feet above normal at Worcester, totally swamping vast riverside expanses. The 1924 flood is famous, or infamous, for disastrously submerging the Three Counties show, being held on a rare occasion at the Pitchcroft Racecourse. 
the entire showground, with its wealth of tents, marquees, sheds and trade stands, was flooded to a depth of several feet. Barrow's Journal of the time reports that motor vehicles and drays were chartered from all over the city to rescue prize cattle and sheep and valuable items of equipment and rush them to higher ground. There were stories too of gallant teams of men wading up to their chests in water to save animals or bring out costly display material. Barrow's Journal describes it all as a most amazing sight. Luckily, no one was drowned and expected to be basking in early June sunshine had to be instantly abandoned and suffered a huge loss running into many thousands of pounds. The only note of humorous relief was struck by a sign sticking up in the middle of the showground and proclaiming the dry death. It was on a stand booked by an exhibitor to display his patented vermin killer. In those times, far more people lived near the river and hundreds of them were marooned in their homes, particularly in the Tybridge Street, Hilton Road, South Parade, Seven Terrace and Douglas areas. Essential supplies had to be ferried to them by boat. Adding to the widespread crisis, the Riverside City electricity works were thrown out of action, leaving homes without lights and factories without power. Major cricket fixtures on the county ground in New Road were washed out for weeks by the flood and its effects. The freak June flood of 1924 had been preceded by a month of downpours, which left the land waterlogged. Tremendous rain throughout one night was the final telling blow, literally opening the floodgates from the Welsh mountains down to the Severn estuary. River levels at Worcester rose by about 20 feet in as many hours, at least matching what has always been described as the memorable flood of 1886. And it appears from official reports that the 1947 flood nearly reached those same record heights. The waters were at their peak in mid-March after months of exceptional rain, followed by an all-too-rapid thaw in the Welsh mountains. The most dramatic effect was to virtually cut off St John's, a third of the city. Worcester's west side was sandwiched between the swollen rivers Severn and Teme and was almost an island. New Road was flooded by several feet of water and a Dunkirk-type operation had to be mounted for several days to ferry people between St John's and the city. The Evening News and Times reported that the cooperation of all forms of transport at Worcester lessened the crisis. Corporation horse-drawn carts and heavy open-back lorries ferried people up and down New Road, and Burnham's coaches also ran a free ferry service between the Bullring and the bridge. A 15-minute shuffle service by train, again free, was also run between Forgate Street Station and Henwick Holt, giving another vital line of communication between the city centre and St John's. The platforms at both stations were constantly crowded. Peoples whose homes were flooded tried to struggle on by living in bedrooms and upper floors, 
but it eventually became necessary to evacuate most of them. Some booked into packed local hotels, while others were found emergency accommodation at Hilborough or in council houses. For those who stayed put, the WVS and other voluntary services waded out with meals or used vans, horse-drawn drays and boats. Many Midland Red services had to be abandoned with Newport Street bus station completely underwater and at least a dozen roads leading in and out of Worcester totally impassable. Upton on Seven and several villages were cut off by road and a team of rural engineers with boats ferried marooned families and sheep to safety from inundated tracts of Worcestershire countryside. The Mayor of Worcester started an emergency fund for city flood victims, raising several thousands of pounds. But on a more devastating scale was the irreparable damage to hopyards and harvests in much of Worcestershire and throughout the country. An agricultural disaster fund was launched to help cover some of the estimated nationwide loss in crops of £20 million. And there are several photographs here. Um, a boat full of men taking uh, supplies to people in Tybridge Street. A photograph of um, a ladder being put up um, to rescue residents in South Parade in 1924. And the new road completely flooded with the ferry service, as I've just described, during the 1947 flood. So um, it happens. We live in a team valley, Severn Valley, and uh, there we are, the river's flood. <laughs> it rains. Now Sabrina, Sabrina Bridge, another river story, <laughs> will be closed for five days, and that's actually this week from March the 1st, um, to receive finishing touches. Following extensive works to install the new main span of the bridge, which had been removed as part of a major refurbishment, Sabrina Bridge reopened at the end of January. The final works, which will uh, include installation of bridge dampers to reduce movement of the bridge, completion of works for the step access on both sides of the river and for landscaping works. The installation work was unable to be done ahead of the opening last month due to a delay in receiving the parts from the supplier due to COVID-19 related issues. To enable these works, the bridge will be closed for up to five days, as I've just said. Councillor Alan Amos, Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member with responsibility for highways said, since opening at the end of January, it's been great to see that Sabrina Bridge has been very well used by pedestrians and cyclists, and we've had really positive feedback about the improvements. These final works, which we alluded to when we announced the opening, will be the finishing touches to the extensive refurbishment, which has made a dr drastic improvement to this very well-used river crossing. We're planning to get the bridge back open before schools are set to return from March the 8th. 
The improvements to this bridge are part of our wider plans to enhance walking and cycling routes, not only in Worcester, but throughout the county. The major refurbishment of the bridge includes the complete replacement of the steel for the bridge span, a brand new composite deck which will be easier to maintain and have increased longevity, repainted handrails, ramps, stairs and mainmast, as well as increased handrail height. Sabrina Bridge was first opened in 1992 and the footbridge has provided a link between the city centre to businesses, amenities and university buildings on the west side of the river. The bells of Worcester Cathedral rang out at the weekend to honour the life of legendary fundraiser Captain Sir Tom Moore. The Worcester Cathedral bell ringers told the burden bell a hundred times on February the 27th, just after noon, in memory of Captain Sir Tom Moore on the day of his funeral. After the bell had stopped tolling, a round of applause broke out from the public in Cathedral Square. The Dean of Worcester, Peter Atkinson, said, Captain Sir Tom Moore exemplified the very best of human courage, compassion, resilience, hope and generosity under extraordinary and challenging circumstances. We are proud to honour him by tolling the burden bell in his memory. Our thoughts remain with his family and loved ones. The burden bell of Worcester Cathedral is normally used by the clock to strike the hours and is tolled on significant occasions. His family paid tribute to the veteran and NHS charity fundraiser at his funeral, saying his message and his spirit lives on. Sir Tom's coffin, draped in a Union flag, was carried to the crematorium by soldiers from the Yorkshire Regiment while a Second World War era C-47 Dakota performed a flypast. This was followed by a firing party of 14, each firing three rounds in unison, before a small service got underway. The service at Bedford Crematorium was attended by eight members of Sir Tom's immediate family. His two daughters, Hannah Ingram Moore and Lucy Texera, four grandchildren and his sons-in-law, all wearing masks. It opened with the charity single Sir Tom recorded with Michael Ball and the NHS Voices of Care choir You'll Never Walk Alone, which reached number one in the UK singles chart in April last year. His daughter, Mrs Tiaxira, 52, then paid tribute to Sir Tom who captured the hearts of the nation with his fundraising efforts during the first coronavirus lockdown when he walked 100 laps of his Bedfordshire garden before his 100th birthday, raising more than £32 million for the NHS. A bus driver has been suspended for insisting on wearing a mask with his glasses while driving which his employer believes could cause his spectacles to steam up, blocking his vision. A spokesman for First Bus told the Worcester News they suspended the driver, who does not wish to be identified, because they believe that wearing a mask may cause a person's glasses to steam up 
making driving unsafe. Nigel Eggleton, Managing Director at First Worcestershire, said, Throughout the pandemic, our main priority has been to keep our staff and customers as safe as possible whilst working and travelling on our buses. We have introduced many safety measures, such as social distancing in seating areas, reduced capacities, enhanced cleaning processes and provided unlimited personal protection equipment including sanitizer and wipes for our drivers. In addition to these measures, a screen is fitted between the driver's cab area and platform, which allows for communication to take place and also means the driver does not need to wear a face covering as agreed after undertaking risk assessments involving safety and union representatives. The risk assessments did raise concerns that if a person wearing glasses also had a face covering in place, it was very likely their glasses could steam up, which could impair vision and become a danger to driving, which is why we are upholding this rule. Former bus driver David Crabb said this kind of treatment of bus drivers is beyond a joke and needs addressing. He said, first bus in Worcester have suspended a driver for wearing a mask to keep him and his passengers safe. Drivers cannot be treated like this. Apparently, company policy says you cannot wear a mask while driving if you wear glasses. But surely, if you want to wear a mask, that's down to the driver. It's his safety at risk. There is no law from preventing him from wearing both a mask and glasses. Face masks on public transport, whether people are getting on buses at Worcester bus station or boarding trains at the city's Shrub Hill or Forget Street stations, have been legally enforceable since Monday, the 15th of June 2020. Uh, a city bed and breakfast looks to be converted into assisted living flats under new plans. The 14-room St Lawrence Hotel on the junction of Bath Road and Bolston Road would be transformed into 10 supported living flats as part of plans put forward by Safer's Houses Investment. The building has been used for emergency accommodation during the coronavirus pandemic, according to the application. Accommodation for 24-hour support staff would also be built as part of the plans. The work has been backed by commissioners at Worcestershire County Council, according to the application. The planning application submitted to Worcester City Council said minor changes would be made to both the inside and outside of the building. The building is a considerably sized three-storey traditional style Edwardian house with various modern additions, the application said. It includes accommodation in the roof space, which spans over the majority of the property footprint. The property will be fully refurbished and upgraded throughout, combined with minor changes to the internal layout. The proposal is for a change of use, but incorporates minor internal and external repairs that will, be add, that will add to, to the design quality of the building. 
The footprint of the building is to remain the same and floor area will not increase. The room arrangement has been informed by a desire to retain the character of the existing layout and key architectural features on the external facade of the building. The plans can be viewed via the planning app section of Worcester City Council's website and the application number is 21 forward slash 00069 forward slash FUL and public consultation ends on March the 17th. Partners of Mothers-to-be will be able to attend ultrasound scans from next week. Previously, mothers could not bring anyone with them to appointments as a measure to tackle the coronavirus pandemic. Lauren Spartley, 27 from Malvern, whose final scan is approaching, welcomed the news. She said, I had a full term stillbirth in 2016, so pregnancy for me is quite an anxious time. Going to appointments on my own has been hard. Knowing that my partner can now come to my final scan before she's born has literally been such a relief. Since the start of the pandemic, Worcestershire Royal Hospital has had a member of staff at the main entrance checking on people visiting the hospital and hand sanitising stations and markers on the floor throughout, guiding people as hygiene is ramped up. Justine Jeffrey, Divisional Director of Midwifery and Gynaecology Nursing, said, Our priority at all times has been the safety of mums-to-be and their babies. We recognise the important role of a partner during the maternity experience and are delighted to be able to welcome partners to all ultrasound scans from Monday the 1st of March. Women will be able to have a partner with them for all ultrasound scanned appointments, either in the hospital or community setting. To continue to ensure the safety of our families and our staff, partners will be required to wear masks provided on entry to the hospital. We still ask that children don't attend and social distancing must be maintained during waiting times. At the beginning of the year, a pregnant woman hit out at Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NH Trust for not doing enough to ensure her partner would be with her at hospital appointments. Mary Archer said she had been in touch with the Trust since September 2020 after highlighting its lack of testing and that work to bring the hospital's sites in line with government guidelines had still not been completed. The 37-year-old from Droitwich said, as a result, it was creating a postcode lottery where partners were able to go to scans and appointments in one area, but not in others like Worcestershire. Miss Archer said at the time, you hear stories of women who had bad news at their scans and were there on their own, and they have had to be induced on their own. For those who adopt the rather cynical view that anyone who stands for public office does so firstly for their own benefit and secondly for everyone else's, but have had a field day with the ongoings on in Worcester in the early 1800s. This is an item by Mike Price. Because before the Municipal Reform Act of 1835, the city was run by a closed shop corporation 
And when the system was finally overhauled, this self-important body was found to be as bent as a nine-bob note. It had been an entirely self-elected group, with vacancies being filled at the will of the surviving members. Therefore, the vast majority of citizens had no say in local government. It was also chosen on social grounds and was generally considered the best club in Worcester. Civic banquets were frequent, the costs being met from council funds. The corporation consisted of two groups, the 24 and the 48. The first were the inner circle of the old self-elected corporation, a system which continued until relatively recently with the office of alderman. The 48, or common council, was similar to today's councillors, except things were run on closed shop lines and no reformers were allowed in. Each group had its own special rendezvous. The 24 met at the Globe in Poet Lane, while the 48 met at the Talbot on the Cross, which later became a bank, then a club, and then the Westminster Bank, now NatWest. Later, the 48 moved to the Pheasant Street in New Street, where they had their own bowling green and cockfighting pit. However, at the elections following the 1835 Act, the fertiliser hit the fan, with the no reformers restriction removed. All but two of the 36 seats on the new council were filled by reformers, and they began going through the books. Perhaps to no great surprise, it was found the old council's balance sheet didn't. Far from showing the claimed credit of £1,028, it was actually £1,170 in debt. To redress the matter, the reformers committed sacrilege. They sold off the contents of the Guildhall wine cellars, including the old port, which was the special glory of the aldermen and special citizens. It went by auction to the highest bidder and fetched 64 shillings per dozen bottles. This wasn't the first time the corporation had been in debt either. In 1822, it had been obliged to borrow £50 each from 20 members to balance the books. And in 1824, it was decided to suspend the mayor's feasts, which was a very public admission something was financially up. However, one feature the corporation did have in its favour was its headquarters, the Guildhall in High Street, which, when completed in 1723, was regarded as one of the finest civic buildings in the country. It replaced a former wooden structure, but by the 1870s, the new Guildhall had developed its own faults, leading to a massive restoration in 1880. This resulted in the magnificent coved and richly ornamented ceiling in the assembly room still seen today. An example of money well spent. Hmm. Democracy? I don't think they heard of it then. <laughs> a drunk man was branded pure evil by the terrified partner who, he says, attempted to drown her in the bath. Richard Evans denies the attempted murder of Jane Webster, who said she feared she would die in the bath at his home in Monkswood Hill. 
the trial of the 48-year-old got underway at Worcester Crown Court. He denies attempting to kill her on July the 4th last year after the couple had been out drinking at the Gun Tavern in Worcester. The defendant admits assaults occasioning actual bodily harm and threats to kill, but when asked by police if he wanted to kill her, he replied, I love her. Evans left the pub before Miss Webster, taking the dog with him. She remained with a friend, returning to Ronxwood Hill later that evening. In a video interview recorded the day after the attack, she described him grabbing her and putting her inside the bath, believing he was angry because he had expected her to go home when he did. Miss Webster, who said she still loved him, described him kneeling on her ribs as she tried to keep her nose and mouth above the water. He was full of aggression. His face was horrible. He just looked full of hate and anger. He was so angry. He just looked evil. He looked frighteningly evil. I thought I was going to die. I will never be able to describe that face. It was pure evil, she said. Miss Webster said the bath was deep. The taps were running and water spilling over the side. Breaking down in tears, she told the female officer, I was screaming for help. He told me I was going to die. I could not say how long this lasted, but it felt like a lifetime. The complainant told officers Evans also punched her in the face, pointing out bruising on her cheek. He was going to drown me. He was going to kill me. It was the full weight of his body, and he's a big man, she said. I kept thinking, I have to get out of this for my grandson. I've got to get out of this bath because of my grandson and for my own life. I want to live. I don't want to be drowned in the bath. I fought and fought and fought. I didn't think I would see my grandson again. A friend, the same woman Miss Webster had been talking to at the pub, came to the address after hearing her screams, the court heard. I shouted, Debbie, 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 help me, help me. He's tried to drown me in the bath. And the trial continues, and I'm sure you will hear more of that. An author from the city has published a book of poems aimed at children. Sue Russell has published Animal Rhymes for Sleepy Times, which introduces characters including Benji the Badger and Monty the Mole. She said... It's a dream come true to see my poems in print. I hope people enjoy reading them as much as I enjoyed writing them. The book contains 12 poems which are suitable for primary aged children to read alone or for parents to read to younger children. The first in a series of planned books. Sue's grandson and great nephews and nieces provided the inspiration for the collection. Sue added, I wrote most of the poems as Christmas and birthday presents for the children and knitted them each a toy of the character too. Animal Rhymes for Sleepy Times is available from Amazon. Dozens of volunteers have come forward in response to a plea for helpers at the county's new coronavirus vaccine hub. The opening of the hub had been delayed due to insufficient supplies of the vaccine. But when the call came that the supply issue was resolved, organisers pulled out all the stops to get the centre staffed within a few days. 
Councillor Tom Wells was asked to coordinate volunteers for the new three-county showground vaccine site and said he was overwhelmed with the response. In four days, 56 people came forward, with that number set to be doubled as vaccinations at the site increase. On Facebook, Councillor Wells thanked everyone who volunteered, saying, A huge thank you to everyone who answered my call for volunteers to work at the Three Counties Vaccination Centre. Just four days ago, on February the 24th, I attended a meeting regarding the immediate opening of the mass vaccination centre at the Three Counties showground. The hold-up had been access to sufficient vaccine supply, which is now resolved. In just three days, I've been able to put together a shift rotor involving 56 volunteers to cover the 12-hour day, seven days a week operation. That was a challenging logistical operation, but was only possible due to the large number of amazing local people who came forward offering to help. In a few weeks' time, we shall begin using the second pod, and this will double the amount of vaccinations each day. To do so, I shall need to double the current number of volunteers from 56 to 112. So if you haven't been allocated a shift yet, your time will come and you will be contacted. The Three Counties site, which was set to be open today, the 2nd of March, will be the latest in the county's vaccination programme following the openings of sites at the Artrix in Bromsgrove and St Peter's Baptist Church in Worcester. The site at the three counties is being run by SW Healthcare and plans to begin vaccinations from Tuesday the 2nd of March as I've said. SW Healthcare also run the other two hubs and is a federation of GP practices in Worcestershire. A patch of land on the edge of the city will not be put forward for consideration as a permanent traveller site, despite signs suggesting it would be. A sign mysteriously appeared on land next to the busy Broomhall Way earlier this week, but Worcester City Council has dismissed claims it will be considered as a traveller site, having ruled it would be unsafe. The City Council has said it was put forward by the landowner as a potential site last year, but was crossed off by officers after an investigation. A spokesman for Worcester City Council said officers completed a detailed appraisal of the site and rejected it, as the landowner has proposed vehicle access to and from the A440, which the County Council Highways Department considered to be unsafe. Plans for several new traveller sites across the south of the county were put forward last month, but did not include any locations in Worcester. The sites would be built in Evesham, Upton and Aldington and Badsey near Evesham if the plans are approved. Malvern Hills, Worcester and Witchhaven councils need to provide 67 traveller pitches by 2030 to meet demand. Witchhaven needs to provide 37 pitches but has already approved 21 since 2019. St Peter's County Councillor Stephen McKay said 
Over the past few years, there have been a number of calls for permanent sites for travellers. This was within the South Worcestershire Development Plan. Obviously, a number of sites have come forward and a number of sites in Malvern Hills and Witchhaven, and we in Worcester are also part of the plan. Worcester City are looking for a couple of sites, and at the last call at the end of last year, the landowner did propose this site to be considered for a traveller site. However, the City Council have looked at it and given it a rigorous assessment, deciding it's not suitable for a permanent site, mainly because of its location right next to the dual carriageway. There are very few possibilities for proper access to that site. I certainly wouldn't promote it as a site. It's too close to the dual carriageway and you need to think about the safety of having youngsters near a very busy road. Council tax bills for city residents are set to rise by an average of almost £55 next year. Worcester City Council agreed to increase its share of council tax by an extra £5 at a meeting on February the 23rd, with members of the Hereford and Worcester Fire Authority backing plans to up its precept by an extra £1.69 from April. The increases in City Council and Fire Service precepts go alongside agreed rises by Worcestershire County Council and West Mercia Police in its share of, of council tax. With all precepts now agreed, the average Band D household in Worcester will be expected to pay around £1,867 a year, which is an increase of just under £55. Residents in Warnden Parish will be asked to pay an extra £27.83 a year, while taxpayers in St Peter's Parish will see an extra £18.16 added to their bills. Worcester City Council's latest budget includes £16.8 million to regenerate the city centre's Angel Place and the surrounding area, £1.9 million to demolish Sunson Walk Swimming Pool for housing, and £1.3 million to continue the work to transform the city's railway arches into a cultural hub. A 2.5% rise in Worcestershire County Council's share of council tax, equal to around £33 more for the year for the average household, and a £15 increase in West Mercia Police's precept was agreed earlier this month. 1% of the County Council's increase will go directly to funding adult social care. In its financial plans, the County Council has predicted a £75 million gap in its subsequent two budgets between 2022 and 2024. The authorities' Lib Dem councillors had called for council tax to be increased further by half a percent to provide more money for social care and the council's Labour group called for the government to fund the council tax in increase in Worcestershire, but both pleas were rejected. West Mercia Police's annual precept will be £240.20 a year for the average Band D household, 
a rise of 6.66%. Almost £9 million will go towards recruiting an extra 91 police officers, the region's police and crime commissioner John Campion said. Mr Campion said he had presented a more-for-more budget, which meant the police preset for residents in Worcestershire would be higher, but services would be better as a result. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. It remains for me to thank John Blush and for myself, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off and hope you have a good week. And after the music, there will be the obituaries. Bye-bye. So, um, obituaries announced in the past week. These first few do not have funeral dates because of the coronavirus issues. Barbara Ruth Sharp passed away peacefully aged 64 on the 15th of February. Courageous, um, after a courageous struggle against a long illness. Jacqueline June Wood of St Dunstan's Close passed away January the 28th. Donations in her memory may be sent directly to St Richard's Hospice. Peter, known as Pete Ridley, ex-Underwoods, passed away February the 15th. Uh, Webcast details can be obtained from the family. Donations for Site Concern Worcester. There's no detail on a funeral director or date of the funeral. Hilary Roberts, née Bund, passed away on February the 14th. Um, donations for cancer research would be appreciated. No funeral director mentioned. Reginald, known as Alan Tyler, passed away the 13th of February. Um, donations for the Stroke Association can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester. WR37EU. Um, and so uh, those, none of those have um, funeral dates. And just a reminder that funerals and cremations are only, you're only able to attend by invitation at the moment. So these do have uh, funeral dates now. William, known as Bill Brennan, formerly of BB Locks, passed away the 13th of February. His funeral service will be on the 3rd of March at St George's Catholic Church at 10 o'clock. Private interment, a webcast will be available at www.churchservices.tv forward slash Worcester. Um, donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to EJ Gumry and Sun details as before. Jack Smith passed away February the 13th. Funeral service uh, will be on the 3rd of March at Worcester Crematorium. <coughs> the cortege will leave Jack's home at 2.10pm. Donations 
to Cancer Research UK. We sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, which is 01905 748811, or sent directly to the charity. Barbara, known as Barbie Deakin, passed away on the 7th of February. Um, private funeral on the 4th of March, uh, followed by interment at Aswood. For those who wish to pay their last respects, the cortege will leave Eltrick Road at 12.45pm. Donations for Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust can be left on the plate or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, the Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. Their telephone number is 01905 748811. Checks payable to Bedwardine Funeral Services Charity Account. Peggy Jones passed away February the 12th. Service will be on the 5th of March. Um, donations for Dementia UK can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. All these will have taken place by the time you actually get this recording. Edna Alderson of Fernal Heath passed away the 12th of February. Funeral service will have taken place on March the 5th at 2.30. Donations for Midlands Air Ambulance can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. Michael William Akam McDarling, Kemsey and former employee of the Metal Box, passed away February the 6th. Funeral service will also have taken place on the 5th of March. Donations to St Richard's Hospice, um, all care of Jackson family, funeral directors, 5456 Barbin Road, Worcester, WR1 1JA, telephone 01905. 616 treble 2. And that's the aid of the hospice, St Richard's Hospice. Betty Gardner passed away on the 11th of February. Private service will take place on the 8th of March. Donations for Worcestershire Breast Unit Haven or Mission Aviation Fellowship can be sent to EJ Gumry and Sun Details as before. Leonard Gordon, known as Len Honey, passed away the 17th of February. Funeral service at 10 o'clock on March the 8th at Worcester Crematorium. Donations for the Dogs Trust can be sent to EJ Gumry and Sun details as before. Oliver Charles Andrews passed away February the 20th. Former groundskeeper at Kay's Cricket Club, Cinderella Ground, for 40 years. Funeral services at the Vale Crematorium, Gladbury, on Tuesday, March the 9th at 10. Donations, if desired, to the Royal National Institute for the Blind. Inquiries to Martin Grinnell Funeral Services, 1 Budley Street, Evesham, WR11, 4AD. Telephone 01386, 42233. Joanna Mary J passed away on the 8th of February. Funeral Mass at St George's Catholic Church at 12 midday on Tuesday the 9th of February. Invitation only. 
inquiries through cooperative funeral care 01905-22137. Donations for St Vincent de Paul Society, of which Joanna was a long-serving and hard-working member. And that can be sent to cooperative or through a GIST giving page, SVP hyphen droitwich hyphen Joanna hyphen J hyphen RIP. Janice Parry, named Miles, uh, passed away on the 13th of February. Um, sadly died from COVID-19 and multiple sclerosis com complications. Funeral by invitation at 11.30 on Thursday, the 11th of March at Worcester Crematorium. Donations gratefully received for Worcester Breast Clinic Haven. Uh, no funeral director details there. And finally, Roy, known as Edward Fisher, passed away suddenly February the 12th. Um, funeral at Worcester Crematorium on the 15th of March. Flowers to the cooperative funeral care, loads more uh, details as before. And our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And I do like to follow this with the thought for the day, which is taken uh, from St. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. <laughs> 